I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I am your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome and thanks so much again for joining us. Great to be with you both. Thank you so much for uh, being hosts. Glad <laughs> oh. for that. <laughs> we are very happy to be doing it. So, so Archbishop, how was your last month? How have things been going for you personally? Very well, really. A uh, lot of blessings in the last month. Uh, though I have to say, like so many people I speak with, uh, it is beginning to wear uh, the, uh, the things we have to do to deal with mm. COVID. Yeah. And so I pray, been praying for myself that I be patient, and I've been praying for everybody else to be patient. Mm. Uh, God's prayer. got a purpose, and uh, uh, if we cooperate with him, uh, the kingdom will be all the more clear. Amen. That's been your consistent message, I think, throughout this, at least on the podcast and I know elsewhere. And it's brought me a lot of comfort when I get overwhelmed because at first, you know, there was a novelty to it and we were trying to figure out, but it is, it's, it's starting to take a toll. So, um, Archbishop, we are in the month of November and in November we celebrate All Saints and All Souls Day. Can you tell us a little bit about how you celebrated the feast this year? Well, uh, I wasn't able to celebrate public mass on All Souls Day because of my uh, uh, my own uh, uh, obligations, the way my calendar worked out. But uh, obviously, celebrating through the sacred liturgy is the most important way to observe these days. And uh, All Souls Day has always have a had a very special place in my my heart as a way to uh, feel the connection that we know exists because of the, <coughs> pardon me, the communion of saints. Um, typically on All Souls Day, it's my practice to offer mass uh, at the Holy Sepulchre Cemetery. And uh, then I go visit the graves of my predecessors in the clergy oh. section. And then uh, we've started a new custom. This year, Bishop Battersby took my place, uh, having a choral mass in the cathedral in the evening. Uh, and uh, while I couldn't participate this year because of just the complexity of my schedule, I was uh, very much one with them in, in my prayer on those, uh, uh, those occasions. That's wonderful. Archbishop, that, that Mass you just uh, mentioned with our, uh, Bishop Battersby, that was a special COVID Mass, is that right? Yes, uh, we've had the, the Mass in the evening for the last few years, but this year particularly, it was to pray for those who uh, lost their lives because of COVID. Yeah. How did things feel this year? I mean, I know you mentioned, did it feel a little different, a little bit more poignant or difficult this year, uh, given the whole COVID situation? It does, certainly. Uh, and you, you have a sense of uh, the uh, the mourning, uh, the... Uh, the the lo the sense of loss that uh, people feel the grief grieving for their loss and uh, particularly uh, the grief that people have experienced when they weren't able to be at the bedside of the person they loved yeah uh, so because tough. of uh, the restrictions uh, especially in the beginning of the pandemic yeah 
All Souls Day and All Saints Day are some of our um, favorites to celebrate in our family because they make us aware of, you know, what we're doing and the pilgrimage that we're on, right, towards the kingdom. And I brought my kids uh, to the cemetery, and we got to pray with our you know, their grandparents and things like that. And there's a beauty to it, but a sorrow. It's interesting how our faith sometimes balances those two, right? Right. And uh, the the beauty of it, it lets us continue to have peace, even in the midst of sorrow. St. Paul says, we would not have you mourn like those who have no hope. Yeah. I mean, there, there's mourning is not out of place. Uh, mm. We we regret the loss. We miss these people we've loved very, very much. But uh, through that, within that, there is this peace that they're in the hands of the Lord. And in fact, there's no safer place to be. Uh, you're, you're safer in the hands of the Lord than, yes. uh, than any place else. Mm. He doesn't uh, open his fingers and let us drip away. Right. Well, this month we're going to be talking about um, the holy sacrifice of the Mass and our obligation and how that's going to move as we continue through this time of pandemic. So as we approach the season of Advent, we're encouraging members of the faithful who are able to start heading back to Mass in person, if they haven't already. While the general dispensation remains in effect for now, this is mainly to ease the consciences of those who cannot attend due to their higher risk complications, reasons that they wouldn't be able to associate it with COVID-19. So what about everybody else? Archbishop Vigran, should we be returning to Mass? Why is it important? How do we maybe address some of the fears that we might have, even if we're going other places? I know people that are, you know, feeling comfortable in the safety of restaurants and maybe, you know, uh, shopping and things like that, but still feel a little hesitant regarding Sunday liturgy. So we wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and get some, some insights from you. Well, that's a lot of questions, Mary. Which one do you want me to start with? <laughs> Let me just throw it all at you at once. If you can start with, what about, are we supposed to be attending Mass right now if we are able? We should. Uh, yeah. The obligation that we have to participate in the Holy Eucharist is not uh, ultimately founded on the law of the Church. Mm. The law of the Church is founded on a truth uh, of the moral order that we have an obligation to worship God, we're his creatures. And in particular, as Christians, we have an obligation on Sunday to uh, be joined in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, the Church's law about this is a, a further articulation. An, an analogy would be parents have an obligation to care for their children. Uh, the legislature in Lansing has made uh, some specific uh, uh, legal norms about that, but uh, whether they had those or not, uh, that's the the moral requirement of being a parent is to care mm. for your children, and so the the ethical requirement of discipleship is to participate in the Holy Eucharist on, on Sundays when that's when we can. Mm. So, um, uh, should people come back to church? When they're, if it's safe and uh, they can do so safely, uh, then they should be there. Uh, now, as you said in making your introduction, uh, the general dispensation is to help those uh, who might, who are of tender conscience, and mm. particularly to point out to them uh, some good reasons not to come if they're in the, uh, for example, in the very vulnerable group. Uh, that would be a good reason uh, to continue to uh, 
observe the Lord's Day without coming to, to the Holy Eucharist. But uh, men, you know, Mary, this is, uh, we rely on people's good moral judgment. I presume mm -hmm. everybody wants to do the right thing and everybody wants to be a good disciple. And so people, without being scrupulous, make good judgments about uh, what they can reasonably do. We do that in so many other parts of our life. We need to do that in terms of worshiping God. Archbishop, as, um, as the Archbishop, what are you hearing or sensing from your, from your perspective regarding uh, how things are playing out at the parishes, like what numbers are like and, and how the safety measures are being um, uh, held? The numbers, I think it varies from congregation to congregation. Uh, mm -hmm. Some places do reach the maximum of 50% uh, capacity. Others uh, are not getting to that point. I think that really depends on the congregation. Uh, about safety, so far we have had, praise God, no uh, indications that uh, gathering people for the Holy Eucharist has been a cause for outbreak. Mm. Um, uh, we're, we, we monitor that. We're very grateful uh, for uh, the very, very great care that the priests and their staffs are taking uh, to make sure that the environment of the church is a safe place. Mm. It's been pretty incredible to see, just as somebody that's worshiping on Sundays, what staffs and priests have been willing to do to ensure the safety, the way that they're cleaning, the way that they've spaced people, the way that they've set up the environment for safety. It's kind of, it's like with uh, when we've talked about our Catholic schools, it's a bit awe-inspiring, the extra work that people have taken on to ensure the safety of the faithful to be able to celebrate the Eucharist. Have you noticed some of that? I have, and you know, I, I think it's a, a testimony to love, uh, to uh, appreciation of the importance of the Holy Eucharist, and for people's love uh, for one another, wanting people to be able to have the Eucharist and to have, uh, to participate in the Eucharist safely. And you know, Mary, you rightly talk about the priests and their co-workers and what they do, but it also depends on the. Uh, cooperation of the members in the congregation. And uh, uh, the priests tell me that one, you know there are some holdouts and people they have to ask uh, to be more cooperative, but uh, by and large, uh, pe people do understand that this is a way to show fraternal charity. I know as somebody who works in the parish, I know um yeah, the, the, the amount of time and energy and effort and conversation that goes into thinking about every little facet of this uh, has been quite annoying in a way, but, but very good. We know we need to do it. But, uh, and, and like you said, I mean, we're very blessed at, our, at the parish that I work at that our uh, parishioners have been wonderful as far as very understanding, following every guideline that we have asked them to follow uh, out of love, like you said, for ensuring the safety of not only themselves, but everyone else in the congregation, which is, it's beautiful to see. It, it's, um, it's, a reminder about how we take on little mini sacrifices, little mini annoyances out of the good for another, out of the love for another, which is great. Yeah, St. Paul says, bear with one another's burdens and so you will fulfill the whole law. Well, that, I think uh, that part of, uh, you know, Mary was started by talking about our membership in the communion of saints, which we recall on November 1, November 2. 
that's part of uh, our, our communion is to uh, facilitate and make it easier for one another to, to, be, to draw close to Christ. We have a responsibility for each for all. It's funny, one of the questions I was going to ask you is just to kind of talk about the experience of virtual Mass as opposed to being at Mass in person. And I think being with the community is important in receiving the Eucharist, right? Uh, not just uh, passively observing, but being able to partake. Yes, Mary. Uh, I mean, really, it, it's both of those things. I mean, uh, the mm. Holy Eucharist is an mm. action. It's something Jesus does. It's Jesus present under the appearances of bread and wine, but ritually uh, through the priest and the congregation offering himself to the Father. For that hour, that hour and a half, uh, whatever the time is that the action takes, uh, what, what's going on right now in heaven as Jesus prays, praises his Father and gives him thanks and shows his Father uh, his uh, wounds uh, now made glorious, uh, that is present in the church during that time period. And so our obligation is to be part of that. Uh, and the reception of Holy Communion is the consummation of that self-offering. Uh, that, that's what worship is for a, a Christian, is to make a gift of ourself to the Father. And uh, well, it's pleasing to the Father because we do it in union with Jesus. Uh, one of the prefaces says that we pray that the Father will see and love in us what he sees and loves in his Son. And so our obligation is to participate in that. And while, uh, you know, a virtual uh, uh, observing of the Eucharist is, is a worthy thing when people can't come, uh, and, and at other times as well, it can be a time for prayer, but it isn't the same thing as being there and being a part of the action. Yeah, I know so many of our um, other Christian brethren, you know, Protestants and what have you, um, this they were able to pivot on a dime because many of them had been doing live streams and doing that because they're very much a people of the word uh, and that uh, reception of Holy Communion isn't a part of what their, their worship uh, practice. Uh, it's different, obviously, for us as Catholics. We haven't really done the whole live stream thing because it was very much, like as you said, about being physically present at the sacrifice and actually giving yourself and receiving Christ in return. You know, why that, Why is receiving the Eucharist so important to our faith, Archbishop? Well, uh, you know, we're accustomed because of the renewal of baptismal promises at the Easter Vigil to think uh, of that as the, the way we renew our baptism. But really, the primordial way to be renewed in your baptismal identity, to be uh, re-immersed again and again in the death and rising of Jesus, is the Holy Eucharist. Uh, the Eucharist is the way we are renewed in our baptism. And so it's, and it is the way that the Holy, the principal way the Holy Spirit comes to us and configures us after the likeness of Jesus as a, a abandoned to the Father and making a gift of ourselves to the Father uh, and receiving the Father's gifts uh, uh, in the Holy Eucharist. Um, the, what we're going to have in heaven, where there is no closer uh, experience of that than the Holy Eucharist in this world. 
I was just going to ask you that the Eucharist is sometimes titled things, you know, the source and summit of our faith, the irreplaceable gift. But one of the titles of, of the Eucharist, the Holy Eucharist, is the foretaste of heaven itself, like a, a, a meeting with heaven, which is pretty profound. It is. And it's the medicine by which we are prepared uh, to withstand death and overcome Christ overcomes death in us. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, you will have life everlasting uh, because uh, it is life. It's the living flesh and the living blood of Jesus that then becomes me or I become it, really. The fathers say, usually when you eat food, it becomes part of you. But this is food we eat, we become part of it. When COVID first kind of became a thing and we we were not able to go and worship at mass. I was surprised how painful it was for me because to be honest with five small children, sometimes going to mass on Sundays is not, <laughs> it's tough, right? And so I almost expected that I would feel a little bit of relief not to have to get the kids ready and, and keep them focused on Sunday during worship. But uh, I found I missed it so much. And when I was finally able to go and receive again, right when the church is open, we felt safe going to, um, to a parish to receive. I couldn't believe what an emotional experience it was to once again receive our Lord in that way, um, to uh, move through an experience where I was unable to receive him, uh, felt, I don't know, it was, it was hard. And then to receive him again, I just felt a completeness with that. And I think in encouraging people to return to mass, we're encouraging people to that type of union again, if they're able, right? Exactly. I mean, th there are a lot of reasons, say, for example, that uh, a wife uh, has to be absent from the home for a period of time. Uh, mm -hmm. It could be uh, professional travel, it could be illness, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, but that's not a break, that's a real mm -hmm. absence of where the heart longs to be. Mm -hmm. And the heart of a Christian longs to be united with Jesus in, in praising the Father and making a gift to uh, receive love, the Father's love along with uh, Jesus and to give love back along with Jesus and so what you testify to is, is really uh, what it's, it's all pretty well, I was gonna say natural but mm -hmm. naturally supernatural I suppose mm -hmm. <laughs> it's where you belong it's where we belong we belong in the father's house uh, I, I've been thinking a lot about the parables where uh, the kingdom of heaven is compared to uh, a great feast that's given and people, people can't get out of their ordinary routine and uh, get out of their chairs and go into this great gift that they've been given. I don't know if it strikes you, but I think so often about our forebearers and all the sacrifices they made in order mm. to be able to have the Holy Eucharist. Right. You know, there's these... Uh, all of these accounts, for example, in, in, in Ireland, of people gathering in the dead of night in a, in a forest at the risk of their life uh, to be able to have the Eucharist because the Eucharist is a life more important than this world's life. I think it's so providential that we're discussing this today. A, a friend had recently um, 
said that she was kind of getting used to Sundays being like every other day of the week. And that's uh, because she was not, she didn't feel comfortable attending uh, the Eucharist yet. And she shared just on, on social media that she was feeling the loss of the importance of receiving and being in community. And I think taking a moment to really talk about the beauty of Sunday liturgy is, is really important right now so that people can be reminded because you can get used to uh, not worshiping when, as you said, COVID has gone on for so long. <laughs> it can almost, we have to be careful that it doesn't become a norm that we're not longing to receive on Sundays. Well, isn't it, uh, I mean, I'd go back, uh, it's not my analogy, it's our Lord himself who compares the church uh, to himself as his bride. It'd be like uh, a marriage getting stale, yeah. where people just became accustomed, somebody in the marriage might become accustomed to the things that, uh, uh, of growing farther and farther apart. And mm. it, they wake up one day and they, they realize that uh, yeah. the thing is... is uh, uh, unraveling uh, right we have to we have to do our part and the holy spirit moves us to do our part but we have to respond to the graces that he offers i know earlier you spoke about the idea of um medicine and the eucharist being medicine and i have always you know growing up i think i heard a lot you you go to mass because god deserves that worship and he's owed that worship and, and that's definitely true that's definitely a reason to go um but I know, I know more recently in, in my more adulthood, I realized that idea of medicine. And so obviously I go because God de desires the worship. He deserves the worship. But truly speaking, I mean, I need the Eucharist in order to be healed. I need it in order to become who I'm called to be. I need it because just as I need food for my body to sustain myself physically, I need that spiritual food to sustain myself spiritually. And I know... Um, I think with COVID, it made me realize that all the more, you know, that I was lacking something. It was like a pause on the ability for me, it felt like, to really uh, move forward in becoming who I'm called to be. That might sound overly scrupulous. I don't know. What do you think about that, Archbishop? No, I, I don't think it's overly scrupulous. And as a matter of fact, uh, I think uh, I would want to point out the need not to set these two things up in, as kind of antithetical, contradictory to one another being a part of the Mass, part of the Eucharistic action as uh, what's owed to God and being part of the Eucharist uh, for my blessing. Uh, I was just reading a comment from, quote, uh, attributed to St. Margaret Mary, who says that one of the best ways to worship God is to tell him how much we need him. He likes mm. knowing, he likes hearing that. Mm. So that your confession about how much you need to be there uh, is, in fact, uh, a way to worship God, the, uh, because you're, you're acknowledging who God is. Mm. You had recently spoke to the priests about encouraging the members of their faithful, and it's really important that we point out we are talking about the people that are able to return. So if people have health concerns, if they're compromised in any way, it would not be an appropriate time. And I think it's worth mentioning, sorry, I'm going off for a second, that also if you don't feel good, you should not go <laughs> to Mass, even if you're not feeling good on a Sunday, to preserve um, 
the health of everyone. But when you were speaking to the priests, you spoke to the priests about encouraging the faithful to return to Mass. And during that meeting, you shared with them a letter that the Vatican's Congregation uh, for Divine Worship and the Discipleship of the Sacraments. The letter was entitled, Let Us Return to the Eucharist with Joy. Can you tell us what you pulled from that message, returning to the Eucharist with joy? What, what stood out in that message from the Vatican to you? I, I think uh, simply my responsibility and uh, to lead in the responsibility of the priests uh, who are my co-workers and the deacons uh, to uh, reiterate again and again that the, the, the Eucharist is a privilege, that the difficulties we've had in being able to be in church on Sunday uh, have been an opportunity to uh, appreciate anew the Holy Eucharist, and that uh, while we we certainly ob observe the obligation, it, it's uh, not to minimize the gravity of the obligation, uh, what's really important is to put your whole heart into it and, and to find the joy that comes from fulfilling the obligation. I mean, we talked about uh, family obligations. Uh, it can be, you know, you, we've talked a little bit offline just to, uh, before we started, the, uh, uh, the labor it takes, the work it takes to be a good mom, to be a mm -hmm. good dad, and yet it's a labor of love. It's something done with joy. Uh, e even at the end of a long, tiring day, uh, there's the joy of having shown love and receiving love. And I think that's the important, one of the important things from the Cardinal's uh, letter to us is to uh, uh, help the faithful uh, uh, find again the joy in returning to the Holy Eucharist. And, and, you know, when it comes to joy, I always try to remember that it's, it's my joy, your joy, but do we always appreciate the joy it gives Jesus mm. to serve us and feed us and to, uh, we use the word medicine, how uh, gratified in his heart he must be that uh, we accept this medicine and... Uh, we are all the more prepared to be with him forever, which is where he wants us to be. He longs to have us with him. Yeah, I think as Americans, we, we tend to think so independently and in that we kind of, we do it on our own and we have our own strength. And it's a, it's a different move to allow ourselves to be loved, to allow ourselves to be served. Um, and like you said, like appreciate Hey, when you allow somebody to do something for you or allow somebody to give you a gift, um, it might feel weird in a way for you because you're so used to doing, 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 but there's some beautiful grace in allowing somebody to do things for you. And like you said, that's an appreciation. Like Jesus wants to do things for us. He wants to land in our hearts. And so it's a beautiful thing to allow him that opportunity to do so. You both are family people. Let me ask you, this habit of uh, letting oneself be loved, uh, is that something more easily cultivated uh, between husbands and wives, parents and kids? Or is it even sometimes hard there? You have to be, be in, being uh, uh, 
you know, totally self-reliant Americans. Right. Yeah. It's funny that you asked that question because I do love that in our conversations on this podcast, you often refer to the family as places that we can find truths. And I think it is harder than we sometimes talk about to allow ourselves to be loved, to be in partnership with another person, to tend to the relationship, to delight in one another, especially with the busyness of the day-to-day. It's it's very easy to um, forget to cultivate relationships within our homes. Uh, and when you look at it from a spiritual side, I think it enhances our understanding both of who God is and our understanding of what our families can be. Right, Mike? Do you feel that way? Oh, I agree. And I think... <clears throat> You know, COVID, I think, has for many of us acted like a magnifying glass uh, on our lives and Mm -hmm. shown us a lot of things that we didn't see before. And I know for me, spiritually, that's been one of the areas that you just you just hit your finger on it, Archbishop, was that I I think my love language is to is service, acts of service. And I feel very comfortable wanting to serve and give away and and serve others. Um, I don't feel as comfortable allowing myself to be loved or allowing my, like allowing others to do that for me. Like it really is a weird thing for me to stop and allow myself to be loved in that way. And I was even thinking about that, not just in my, my family life, my, my relationship with my wife, but also my relationship with God. You know, I mean, I was really praying earlier in, in the season with um, the fact that Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And, and Jesus doesn't just want me to serve him as a parish worker. Uh, he wants me to be in friendship with him. And that's been a huge, um, I'm still working on that. <laughs> I'm definitely not done, but uh, it's, it's a work in progress. I think it's been helpful for me. I uh, had an insight about this uh, meditating on the gospel appointed uh, for ordinary time yesterday. Uh, Jesus tells the parable about uh, which of you who has a servant, when if he were to come, uh, the master were to come in from the field, would have his servant uh, sit down and he'd serve uh, the meal to the servant. Would he not rather have the servant wait on him? And our Lord tells the parable to point out that we are uh, uh, unworthy servants in the kingdom. But the irony is that Jesus doesn't behave that way. Mm. Uh, When we have the feast, he does tell us to come in and sit down. He does wait on us. Uh, There's a beautiful poem by uh, the Anglican parson, George Herbert, and Herbert uh, uh, points out that not only does love uh, bid me come into the feast, and even though I might feel unworthy, uh, urges me to share in the feast, love himself provides the food for the feast. He is the food, Mm -hmm. so that... Uh, it delights our Lord. Uh, I think this is one of the great uh, advantages of the, uh, the sacramentality of the heart of Jesus. It delights the heart of Jesus mm-hmm. to provide a, a banquet for you, Mike. It makes him happy uh, to, to ha- have you as a guest. It's so funny. I I didn't anticipate that this would be the direction that our conversation would be going because I'm so, I'm such a black and white person, you know, so I figured we're talking about obligation and dispensation, you know, (laughs) and I think sometimes we as Catholics fall into, I'll just speak for myself. I fall into that, the almost legalistic approach, which is there's an obligation and there's a dispensation. It's important to talk about that, but it's all based on relationship, right? And what God wants to offer himself to us and this invitation to come back to mass, um, 
enjoy the Eucharist with joy. It's so that we can we can experience, like you said, you had said last month, Archbishop Vigneron, God wants more happiness for us than we can even imagine. He wants more goodness for us than we can even imagine. And that's what going back to Mass on Sundays is about, even in this really tricky time of a pandemic, as long as we can do it safely, right? Right. I mean, uh, we use our own good judgment. I mean, mm-hmm. in all of our other relationships, you're using your best judgment mm-hmm. about uh, what what keeps people safe, what keeps you safe, what keeps your loved ones safe. Use your best judgment. Uh, but uh, there's a, I mean, in, in uh, you don't uh, measure the uh, mutual giving of love in your family <laughs> by uh, the minimal obligation right you know, that that's just a, a basic uh, floor that we then yes. build out of mm-hmm. we're all called to be saints not just mm-hmm. to uh, avoid uh, touching the tripwire right <laughs> that's true well, Archbishop, as uh, Advent is approaching quickly, Advent being the new liturgical year for the Church, um, and during the season of Advent, of course, we await the coming of our Savior. It's that time of anticipation and waiting, and so we anticipate and wait for the end of all this COVID and the restrictions and everything as well. Is there is there a message, I guess you could say, you have for our listeners uh, as we enter into that season coming close? Um, a message not only for our listeners, but some sort of a mission for our listeners as well and how they can encourage people to kind of return back uh, in these in this coming season. I think uh, one of the things Advent is about is remembering that God keeps his promises. Uh, he promised uh, Adam and Eve that there'd be a savior. He renewed that to Abraham. He's con- he continued to renew the promise through the prophets. And in the fullness of time, when uh, perhaps some people thought he had forgotten, but he didn't. But when the time was right, he kept his promise. Uh, and uh, he, God keeps his promises. So that in, in this Advent, 2020, to remember that he is going to, he is not only going to keep his promises, he is keeping his promises uh, as we attempt to respond to uh, to his love. I think, uh, so that means simply, I mean, this, it's, it, maybe it's oversimplifying, but every day to wake up and say, I'm going to watch for how Jesus comes into my life today. And uh, as, as onerous as so much of the COVID pandemic is, he's in this. And he's giving himself to me. That's part of what uh, the Lord's resurrection is about. There isn't any circumstance in which uh, God is excluded from giving his love to me. And so we have to be on watch. Maybe that's a simple point, uh, to get up every morning and resolve to to watch for at least one unexpected time when he's uh, offering himself to me. And the mission can be to witness to that to other people. And, and when we see it happen, uh, to, to speak of it, to name it, uh, what, I think those two things would go together. I, I'm going to watch for one unexpected manifestation of God's love today. And when I see it, I'm going to call it out 
to 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 other people. I always think about life, and uh, I was talking with the producer, Ron, before, uh, in terms of social media, and what even a great challenge for social media every day of Advent to to watch and then to share, share the places that God has been alive in your life. Um, I think we're at a time when, and you, you started the show by saying this, the pandemic is it's dragging on and it is hard to, um, it's not hard. We need to be intentional intentional about looking for uh, what God is doing and how he's keeping his promises. But I love the idea of sharing it too. I'm going to try to do that for Advent. I'm going to try to share it on social media the way that God is moving. It's good. Each month, we ask people in the Archdiocese of Detroit to submit their questions to you, Archbishop Vigneron. And if somebody's listening and they'd like to submit a question, you can do that by emailing eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. When you do that, make sure to include your name, parish, and of course, your question. So we will start with our question um, from Mary at St. Michael in Sterling Heights. I think this question is so relevant right now as we talk about... um, you know, sheltering in place or being inside and uh, trying to stay safe. What are some of the ways that our priests are offering confession during the pandemic while still observing social distancing, drive through et cetera? Why can't the church allow confession over the phone or over Zoom? I, Mike and I both said we didn't know the answer to this one, so we're looking forward to hearing your, your answer. It, it, it isn't really uh, up to the church to uh, make a... Make a uh, how, how to put it? It's about the very nature of the sacraments that mm. uh, determines that we can't do it this way. It, it's not something within the, within the power of the church to change the essence of a sacrament. And the essence of a sacrament is a sacred action uh, led by uh, the minister who acts in the name of, of Christ. For example, in a marriage, the husband and the wife are the ministers of the sacrament. Uh, in baptism, uh, can be a priest or deacon. In fact, in an emergency, it's a layperson. But it's Christ who acts. In the Eucharist, Christ acts through his priest and the people in the congregation. And in the sacrament of penance, it's Christ who acts to forgive. And so this action has to be uh, an authentic human action. It has to be something going on there. Uh, it's It's really pretty fundamental to it's hard even to find the right words for it it's so basic but maybe the 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 truth of it comes out by using the alternate virtual uh, to say it's virtual is to say it isn't actual uh, mm-hmm. you're not in the presence actually uh, of Christ who offers the the healing now uh, and and so i think that's 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 why the the church is determined uh, that uh, uh, confession through electronic means is is not uh, possible because mm. it's it's not about being in the presence of Christ. Mm. And then, do you know some of the ways that parishes are responding to that uh, to be able to keep confession safe during this time of pandemic? I think uh, a lot of it has to do with. Uh, I've heard of parishes, some of it is about distance. It's always about mm-hmm. trying to maintain proper distance. Mm-hmm. So I know of priests who hear confessions in the body of the church, and they create spaces so that 
people, uh, the, the secrecy is, is preserved. I know uh, some priests who hear confessions out of doors. Um, I think priests are trying to find all the kinds of ways they can in order to uh, keep people safe. Mm. Archbishop, I have another question here for you. This is from Chris uh, from St. Michael uh, the Archangel in Livonia. And uh, Chris asks, what is the most rewarding part of being an archbishop? The same thing that's a, a rewarding part about being a priest. Uh, it's being able to share Jesus with other people. Uh, I'm one of the most clumsy, unathletic people you could ever think of. My, you talk to my brothers about this. I, I'm, I'm the klutz. But uh, athletic metaphors are very useful to talk about life. And so I think being a priest, and therefore my being the archbishop, is a bit like uh, being a coach. Uh, one of the things uh, that's true for a coach is it's a way to be a part of a reality, the game, the sport, and, and to enjoy it and possess it by sharing it with other people. And I think that's, for me, the joy of the priesthood. I know it is. Uh, I, I own Jesus by sharing Jesus, and by sharing him, I, I own him all the more. Uh, in terms of specifically for myself as, as uh, the bishop, uh, I would say it's two things. One, it's having the opportunity to see a whole range of uh, Christ, uh, the ways Christ is at work in our diocese. Uh, that I might not see if I were uh, focused on my one own parish or you know, where, where we're heading with families of parishes. Also, uh, it is a great joy to me to be supportive of my brother priests and deacons, uh, so that I'm sort of the head coach at that point, uh, <laughs> getting to uh, uh, be supportive of the, the cadre. That's awesome. And then we're going to end with one final question. It's kind of a lighthearted question from Brandon at St. Mary of the Hills. Brandon asks, in hindsight, what was one of the biggest or funniest oops or oh no moments during a mass that you have witnessed? He gives the examples of reading the wrong gospel of the day, a candle falling over, wearing the wrong colors, etc. Can you think of a time that you've thought, oh no, as you're celebrating uh, mass? I'm not sure I actually uh, am... What I have in mind is a, a complete uh, fit for the question. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that comes to my mind uh, is uh, I was celebrating Mass at uh, Old St. Agatha Church uh, along Grand River there in Redford. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I don't know if people, some, some of the listeners will recall that the, uh, it's a very steep sanctuary with a lot of steps. And... Um, one of the altar boys fainted, and uh, uh, I was afraid he had hit his head. Yeah. But I, uh, I, I was almost preternaturally calm about it, and I remember l later laughing at myself for being so artificially calm by saying, after the boy fell down, I think this young man has fainted. Is there some <laughs> medical professional here who could come forward and uh, assist him? And I thought, you know, that sounds pretty pompous. But 
I, I think I was trying to keep people from panicking because totally. uh, when when the boy fell over, you know, you heard this gasp throughout the congregation. So I slipped into my uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher, uh, stay calm and carry on mode. <laughs> you got to do it when you're the leader in front of people. That's that's great. Oh, that's funny. Well, I'm glad I got you to laugh. I, I mean, maybe that's what he wanted. Uh, and if even if it wasn't uh, exactly on uh, on the mark, uh, we had a laugh, and that's. Good. I'm just. I just imagine myself in that scenario. You know me, Mike. Oh, I yeah, would be yeah. like. I would go next level. So. And the laughter in these days is very welcome. So thank you for that. So, well, Archbishop, thanks again so much for joining us this month for our podcast recording. I wanted to ask before we close: um, Do you have any prayer intentions that we, uh, Mary and I, and the listeners can be praying for you about? Um, I've heard uh, recently of a number of uh, people whose loved ones have been diagnosed with cancer. Maybe we could particularly uh, lift up our, our brothers and sisters who are facing uh, very difficult medical situations here in the COVID time, even if they aren't COVID-related. Of course. Of course. And Archbishop, would you mind closing us with a blessing? No, happy to do it. Uh, Let's commend ourselves to Our Lady's care, and then I'll give the blessing. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, our mother. To thee do we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer us. Amen. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.